Hello, listeners. This is David Blakesley talking to you on episode 94 of the Criterion Reflections podcast. This is a program where we are going through all the films associated with the Criterion Collection in chronological order of their original release. And we are here to pick up uh, where we left off a couple years ago, talking about a pair of films by Jan Troil, a great Swedish director. We're going to focus on The New Land, which was the second part of kind of a uh, two-part uh, epic saga of uh, emigration and settling of the American frontier uh, from the Swedish perspective, uh, starring Liv Ullman and Max von Sydow. It's just a fantastic, um, very reality-based, uh, very sensitively portrayed and evocatively rich epic of um ordinary people uh, carving out a new life for themselves. And I'm really happy to be picking up the conversation with one guy who was with me a couple of years ago when we did this, uh, Josh Hornback. Hello, Josh, and welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's really great to be back to talk about this, uh, the second half of this film. That's right. Making your season four debut and also making his season four entree is John Lobinger. John, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, David and Josh. Always, always great to chat with you. It's great to have all of us together to discuss yes. this, this pretty epic film. It is. And we're going to be doing sort of a two-part segment uh, ourselves in this episode. I've got Phil DeCane and Trevor Barrett who are going to be picking up uh, the second half of the conversation. Trevor and Josh and I covered the new land or covered the immigrants, I should say, uh, in that first episode. And uh, Phil's going to join us in a couple days uh, just for scheduling. I had four guests who wanted to get on, on this one. We couldn't make it all work, but that's fine. We'll give uh, Josh and John a chance to open things up, and then I'll bring it home with Phil and Trevor uh, in a couple days, and that'll be kind of a two-part saga ourselves as we get into it. So, uh, John, I'm going to give you the first swipe. You were not part of our uh, immigrants conversation, but uh, I know you're a pretty big fan of uh, Swedish film in particular uh, and the, the work of Max von Sydow, Liv Ullman, uh, to see them in a non-Ingmar Bergman movie. What was that like for you? Oh, I'm so glad that you phrased my entry uh, to discuss the new land in that light because let's just talk about the many different obstacles and barriers that I think I put up in my mind, you know, between the time when I purchased this Blu-ray set, this two Blu-ray set with the emigrants and the, the new land was probably three years ago. And I've, I'd never seen it until it was time to get ready to prepare for this podcast. And so when I think about some of the obstacles, the obvious ones are, okay, it's six and a half hours long, but like I've seen the eight hour Satan tango, you know, a few times, including once in one sitting at the movie theater. Um, and as well as many other epic films. So it's the length is real, but that's not what it is. I, I have to say I'm personally, I'm really impacted by emigrant stories. 
they are one of the one of the story types that'll ratchet up the tension so high on me that I don't feel comfortable. And so I think there was also that obstacle. But again, I've seen other films in this genre um, between the time when I got the the Blu-ray and now. But I think honestly, I think I've had issues with like. Leave Ullman and Max von Sydow in a film, in a Swedish film, not directed by Ingmar Bergman. And I think I had, <laughs> I think I had a resentment yeah. built up against this movie before I ever saw it. Like I was, I had cast Jan Truel as a bad guy. <laughs> and oh my gosh, like how, how, how wrong am I? Um, Leave Ullman and all of the mm. things that I've heard her discuss these two films. She's like, you know, obviously, I worked with Ingmar Bergman, one of the greatest directors that ever lived, and I'm so fortunate for that. Well, she that married she, him, actually. <laughs> yeah. Well, she didn't marry him, but she did have a child with him. In fact, she pretty famously didn't marry him. Oh, that's right; but, they were not married, they, but they were for sure a couple. Yeah, right. Right, absolutely. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I you know, um, leave if Leave Omen says this is her favorite working experience. Who am I? Who am I? Um, and I'm so glad that, you know, the world of this, the world of this film, these two films, uh, the world that's created just so sucked me in. Um, I, you know, so, okay. So that's my personal experience, but for anybody, you know, that wants to get the setup for the, the film, what are we dealing with here? So, uh, the emigrants is a film that deals with the emigrants in the new land are a couple of films that deal with the four novel set written by uh, uh, Vilmer Moberg, uh, very famous in Sweden, not as famous in America. And we're talking about The New World, uh, the new Land, which is the last two novels in that quadrology. And um, uh, these two deal with uh, Carl, Oscar, and his wife, Christina, and uh, his brother, Robert, in the New World, in Minnesota, and their um, varying tracks and all the obstacles they face and all the the glories of the new land and the natural world that they're living in but also the injustices that they witness the injustices they commit unwittingly or not as well as just you know mm -hmm. the tragedies mm -hmm. that occur um and yeah it's you know it's one of the great it's one of the great american films of the 70s uh, american film sorry it's one of the i think of this film as an american film in a weird way um, even though obviously I know it's Swedish and the cast is Swedish and everything, my in-laws, I have family that are Swedish that saw this film in the theater in America. Like this film is mm. like the, the first two Godfathers is just a foundational, um, white immigration story, but like still it's this, you know, profound story of immigration that lots of families connect with, um. I say specifically that it's a white story because I think coming into this film um, immediately my hackles were up like, wait a second, why are we portraying the difficulties of, you know, this, uh, the, the Swedish immigrants who comparatively had it easy compared to like other immigrants. And I realized again, I'm bringing so much to this film that is probably unfair. Um, and thankfully Jan Truel is like such a, such a cure for um you know reductivism like this film i think this film in particular um the new land even more than the emigrants really paints like 
the entire picture of the human experience, both, you know, the good and the bad, um, and isn't afraid to uh, uh, show nuance in a way that like, I'm not, I don't even feel that well equipped uh, to, to, to bring that much nuance into things anymore. And, you know, my day and age, I'm so, I'm so politically active and whatnot. I see things too black and white. And this <laughs> film is like yeah. a major curative of that. So those are all, those are some of the thoughts. Oh, I do want to say one last thing to make sure that we pick up on this later. This film is a horror film. Like this film is a love story. This story is, you know, it's a film about the new world and beauty and nature and spirituality. But at its core, the entire time I was watching it, I felt like I was watching a 1970s folk horror that turned much darker. And I think that's really interesting. Mm. And I hope that we get to talk more about that as we as we pick up on some of the the, the little seeds I've planted. Sure. We'll, uh, we'll carve that little notch in the tree, John, and we'll come back to it. Okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, those are some great observations, Josh, I'll let you kind of respond to whatever you want to pick up from, uh, John's preamble there. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I watched this pretty, the, the two, the two set or two films pretty closely, uh, after the film was originally released by Criterion and just fell in love with the, the two films. I think that, you know, like John, my experience with Swedish cinema, it doesn't in begin and end with Bergman, but, uh, is definitely overshadowed by Bergman's legacy. Right. I think that Bergman looms so large over the Swedish film, uh, industry that you can't help but see Bergman in so much of what you watch and what I saw with uh, the immigrants in the new land was just so refreshing and I had seen uh, everlasting moments I had seen here is your life so I had seen some of the other Jan Truel stuff and I really appreciated it but there was something just so incredible about this that blew me away and i had seen this right around the same time that i saw the tree of wooden clogs which mm. was another kind of peasant story that really captivated me and just uh really uh just completely um uh, captured my uh, emotions and my sympathies and uh, I think that the way that Troll not only shoots this film, but the way that, as John alluded to, he captures so much subtlety and nuance and the way that he doesn't just uh, tell this, um, you know, so many of our immigrant stories are stories of triumph. They're stories of making it in a harsh new land. And I think that, something that is so important to the legacy of this is to wrestle with the ways in which the, the story of immigration and colonialism and the settlers who came is the story of displacement as well. And I think that, uh, Jan Troll really carefully threads that in throughout this, the, the displacement of native peoples and the displacement of the indigenous peoples of this, this space. And the fact that it's, it's so, so integral to what's going on to everything um, in the film. And I think that uh, in a lesser film, you know, we, we end the immigrants with this moment of almost triumph and we open the new land 
with this, with the family on this rocky road as they're trying to cart all of their belongings to their new homestead. And that's the journey that we're going to be on for the rest of the film. There are going to be moments of triumph. There are going to be moments of them kind of making it in this world, but there are also going to be supreme tragedies. I also think that the way in which the troll has such deep sympathy for women in this world, the, the burden that is placed mm-hmm. on women, um, I think is deeply warm and rich and sympathetic as well. So I just, I, I find this entire experience really, really rich and rewarding. I haven't seen the immigrants since we last talked about it, David. So, uh, it was really interesting <laughs> to come to yeah. this story yeah. two years later and to pick up not quite the way people would have seen it in the theaters, but uh, in a similar fashion where you would have seen one film a year before and to see the next film a year later and uh, to revisit these characters that uh, we really do fall in love with and we, we understand their plight and why they have left. And uh, it doesn't, uh, I, I think again, he captures so much complexity in this film. And so, uh, I just, I, I love what he's doing here and, uh, I can't wait to dig into it more. Excellent. Well, boy, you guys really laid a whole platter out there of, of ideas and threads that we can pick up. I'm going to just kind of, uh, kind of launch my take with saying this sort of feels like a, a demythologized immigration story. Uh, as, yeah. as, as you've all said, we've seen lots of movies, you know, taming the wilderness and the, you know, the, the conquerors, you know, who kind of overcome the forces of nature and oh yes, those inconvenient savages out there who, you know, kind of stand in the way of our prosperous little communities that we want transplant from our native uh, European homes. Um, This is kind of a, and it's not even, it's not sensationalized. I think that's the thing. It's not like, you know, reveling or wallowing in the grueling hardships. I mean, the hardships are just there as sort of an existential fact rather than, you know, kind of swinging the pendulum to the other side where it's like, you know, away from the romanticism of emigration to the, you know, the sheer misery and horror of it all. Um, It's there, but it's, it's just kind of plainly delivered, but also very sensitively perceived. Uh, You get the sense that troll just kind of built this little community. Uh, Obviously they still had access to the modern conveniences and stuff, but you know, Lee Ullman talks about how exhausted she was having to work in the fields after just a few days of simulating the toil of a real pioneer settlement. And, uh, you know, and because Troll was also behind the camera and he's his own editor, he's immersing himself in this world and, and by virtue of his his skill, his insight, his technical proficiency, we can just sit right out there on his shoulder and just absorb ourselves or be absorbed by this landscape, by the customs, the traditions that have been transplanted into a new land. And uh, some of those traditions fit, some of them do not. And some of those old ideas are transformed because of the openness, the, the, the lack of tradition, the lack of structure. Uh, and yet there's, there's also suffering that comes with some of this new opportunity. So that's, that's to me is really what is just so remarkable. You're, you're, you're getting kind of a glimpse, at least as close as we can simulate now, what it might've been like to really be in that experience of really out there on the frontier, you're out in the woods, anything can happen and you can scream for help and there's ain't nobody going to be around. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself, whether that's an accidental injury wild animals, 
an encounter with the natives, you know, any number of things can happen, childbirth, and, you know, and, and, and also the, the psychological and personal dynamics that drive uh, Carl Oscar to do the, do things the way that he did. I mean, he could have settled into a, a more of a, you know, a close knit community. He could have lived in a village. He wanted to be out there right on the raw edge of nature carving out his little uh, rows in the land and growing his crops and pumping out the babies and, and getting his little homestead together. Uh, what was it that drove him into that degree of sort of isolation, even to the fact that he's pulling his wife away on a one-way trip, that uh, she's there and there's not a whole lot she can do about it. She just has to make the best of it that she can. There's a lot of really interesting dynamics that... Um, make this a very particular story about individual humans as well as the larger historic patterns and and sort of archetypes that they they each portray. So yeah, there's just so much going on here. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, the psychology of our, let's just say our three main characters, I, I think that's oversimplifying mm-hmm. Ulricus mm-hmm. and Arvid certainly could argue for being like the fourth or the fifth. Uh, but let's just focus on the main three, the, you know, that family. I identify more with Robert than either of the other two. I just, Mm -hmm. I I liked Robert. Robert was my focus in the first film. And I don't know if that's the same in the second film, just because Carl Oscar and Christina have so much that happens when Robert is uh, 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 pursuing his, his dreams that sadly turn into nightmares uh, in the West. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, Robert is the one I identify with most. And he is just like, he's thirsty for knowledge. He's an optimist. He's a dreamer. And the, the new land represents like an Eldorado type scenario. It's not real. It's sort of a delusion, but it's, you know, it's a, it's an earthly paradise and that's what, and he's not going, and he's more open about how he's not going to be subjugated. He's not going to you know, be bossed around by his older brother or by any authority. He's a free man and he's going to take it. Like, I get that more than anything else. It's interesting. I'm getting married Saturday. So on some level, you know, I'm entering a period of my life, which is a lot more akin to Max Vincito and Lee Volman, you know? Um, but I think so far in my life, I identify the most with Robert. Carl Oscar is an interesting one. He is an interesting cat. More oh, yeah. so in this film, I think, again, like his his psychology gets a little weird because it's like he simultaneously has mm-hmm. a little bit of Robert because, you know, he stood up for Robert. Mm-hmm. Uh, he hit him from the, you know, uh, uh, from the dean or from the authorities back in Sweden. And, and it's not a small part of the reason why he wants to leave. And so, you know, um, he we know that he's a good guy. We know through his relationship with Christina, his protectiveness of his children. Uh, he's not nearly as cruel to his wife as you imagine, like some men probably are. But there's also a part of him, man, that is like he's he's got a Michael Corleone inside of him. He has a he has a, a win at all costs <laughs> mentality, yeah. which is like, yes, I will cut open a tauntaun to save my son and hide him inside of it. <laughs> I'm making a joking <laughs> reference to the mm-hmm. the ox scene, right? Like, yes, he will mm-hmm. go. He will sacrifice this asset this investment that he's made to his own success and the success of the broader family to save one so he is you know he's like he's a protective father and like a a good strong man in that sense but then at the same time you also get the sense that like 
if he knew what the costs were of coming to the new land, but if he also knew that it would bring him great success, I think he probably would take that deal. And there is something weird. Like there's something that when you see that is a little bit weird. And there's also the fact that he, I think he knows on some level that he's, he is displacing the natives. He also knows yeah. he's not do he's not trying to cause harm to anybody. That's not what he did to go there, and he followed all the rules and all that. But I think we get a pretty good sense that he is aware of what he's doing, and he's like, "Look, I either I either do this and provide for my family, or I, I don't know." He's a really complicated guy, and his psychology drives me through this film. Christina, her fears and insecurities. <laughs> she's so much more on the surface with her subconscious. She's really interesting, but I definitely do find myself often coming back to the differences between the two main male leads. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I I also, you know, as you're talking about Carl Oscar, I also find it really fascinating that he is constantly harping on about, you know, we need this to to make it we need an ox we don't need a cow uh you know christina's like we need a cow to provide uh milk for the family but he he wants an ox because that will help them till the fields but he also throws his money away in the previous film on boots on the this this frivolous pair of work boots that the film keeps cutting back to throughout uh, the the three and a half hour running time up until the very end as he's polishing these boots that have lasted him his entire life. So, I, you know, maybe they're not frivolous. They're good, solid work boots. But <laughs> there is something that he has taken this point of pride in these shiny boots that are not necessarily, they weren't the, the thing that they needed. They weren't the the thing that was going to put food on the table for the family. Uh, and so, yeah, there's this, this interesting push and pull between the, the needs of the family and his own vanity at times. Uh, and so I just, I do, I find his character really, really compelling. I also do find Christina's, you know, she, she follows Carl Oscar's lead in coming to the new land. And yet she is so desperate to, to have this, this connection to, to keep her connection to home um, up until till the end, as she takes this bite from the apples from home that she has, has planted. And uh, mm. I, I find that that she has, she has never really wanted to be in America. Uh, she, she wants to maintain this connection um, and while Carl Oscar really wants to think of himself as a good new American, he also though has not quite made that full leap. He, he only understands English haltingly. He isn't really willing to give himself over in the same way that Robert has. Uh, I think about the last voiceover we get from the neighbor talking about the fact that the kids have all learned English and have forgotten their Swedish and have forgotten their native tongue. But Carl Oscar has, has remained kind of connected. And even at the end, he's sitting there looking at the map of his home parish and he is, he is now kind of longing for home as well. And so again, there are these mm. really intriguing connections. And I do think that that seems to be part of the immigrant story or the refugee story as well. The, the first generation to make it over 
they do it for the sake of their families. They do it for the sake of those who will, who will come after them. Uh, they're the one, they're not going to be the ones to really reap much of that benefit. It's going to be their children, their grandchildren that are going to be the ones who do actually get to make a better life for themselves. Well, and that really opens up some interesting, uh, avenues of of uh, sort of speculation conversation about the sort of the political context and it's really important to regard these films this is a european telling of mm-hmm. what's a quintessentially american story uh so the whole perspective of the you know settlers coming in over here is still told from the authorial point of view of the of the swedish writer wilhelm moberg who wrote these novels that are massively popular in sweden very kind of cultural touchstones of the 20th century, mid-century popular literature. And Troil is basically taking that text and saying, yeah, let me let me put that in in a visual format. Let me use my cinematic talents to bring this story to, you know, to life. And and so we've got people who are leaving behind the oppression, the the regimentation of the Swedish you know, status quo, uh, with an opportunity to create something new, something, you know, liberated, something free, uh, exploring new possibilities. And yet they really can't shake off a lot of those old ways. I mean, Christina is basically a wife who's obliged to follow her husband whithersoever he shall go. You know, she doesn't, I mean, she could have left him perhaps she could have put up more of a fight or resistance, but that's not really a, a good wifely thing to do once she realizes the depth of her husband's commitment to do this. Uh, and you're right, this whole idea that he's almost like planting himself like a, a seed in the ground. You know, I will die so that new crops can can arise. I, I really believe that there was a lot of that kind of thinking that pervade pervaded the immigrant community, people who were willing to just basically chuck it all put it all in a trunk, get on that ship and see what happens when they get to the other side. Because even though he settled into an area, you know, populated by his fellow countrymen, again, he wasn't really there to, to create a little, a little mini Sweden. You know, he wasn't part of a village life. Uh, you know, he did eventually become a deacon in his church, but he really was that rugged individualist doing it his own way and um, trying to trying to get past the baggage and, and some of the burden of expectations and yet finding that that old system was really a lot more in him <laughs> than he maybe even believed himself um, as he found it difficult, if not repulsive, to assimilate fully to the you know, full bore Americanism. You, you see some of that tension when he goes into the stores and, you know, he, he could have definitely, um, buddied up and, and been one of the gang there, but, uh, he, that's just not his style. And so, uh, yeah, that's, that's his story. I, I guess what would be cool to talk a little bit more about the, the Robert and Arvid section, which is kind of more like a subplot or a, not really an interlude, but it's a very, it's a very distinct section of the movie. I know, John, you were pretty intrigued by that. So let's go ahead and just dig a little bit deeper into that story. Yeah, I love that. I mean, look, I ultimately the first movie for me was Robert's movie, which is like shocking for me to say. I've already, I've already, you know, uh, stated that I am a Bergman worshiper, and uh, Lee Volman is for me is like you know foremost in the pantheon of of Bergman actors. So the idea that I would see, I would see this movie and some actor I had never seen because I I hadn't seen um Eddie Axberg right yeah right yeah right. Eddie Axberg 
And at first I was like, who is this guy? I don't, I don't know what's going on, but he was just, I just thought he was hypnotic. He's got a great physical presence. Um, and yeah, I love his storyline. I love his character. So come into this movie and he just disappears for a while. When he pops back up, you know, nothing has gone well. You can tell just by looking at his teeth. The, this guy's had a hard time of it. And you know what? Yeah, also, because yeah. we know a little bit of history, right? We've seen, uh, what is it? Dawson mm-hmm. City or, you know, we know what happens when people go west for the gold rush. It's like nothing good happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Charlie Chaplin back. came to mind when you were thinking. <laughs> yeah. And so when when Robert comes back, uh, we go into these uh, really trippy like to- a totally different editing style, a totally different uh, vibe. I won't say the filming style is totally different, but just, you know, there's no more dialogue. It's basically silent. There's a totally different soundtrack, a totally different score of this uh, really primitive drumming um, uh, that's done during this, what I like to call the nightmare in gold sequence. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, totally trippy. And it, people compare it to the ending of Greed. Um, it's just, you know, Robert and Arvid go West and they just suffer for it. And it's just brutal. It's, it's yellow fever everywhere. It's, uh, you know, um, poisoned wells and, and unfortunately Robert is the only one that survives the trip. And, um, you know, and when we see it, we sort of see it in a more impressionistic sense. It's almost as if we're seeing it through his eyes and hearing it through his ears and it's uh, it's nightmarish. It's nightmarish. Um, you know, it's mm-hmm. just as trippy mm-hmm. as anything you've seen in any '70s film. And like I said, it's just as this is this is a horrific sequence. It isn't the most horrific sequence in the film, clearly, but it is a horrific sequence, and uh, definitely ratchets up that sense that I had, um, partially because of the Arflex camera movements and the. You know the the film stock that they were using mm-hmm. reminds me of some folk horror films I've seen, but there's enough mm-hmm. foreboding and enough built into the film for me to really be prepared for. Okay, at any given point, this thing's going to turn into a horror film, and uh, this is one of the one of the places where it does that. And I think it's I think it's mesmerizing. I've heard other people say that they they question whether or not it works, and I'm like, what do you, what did you watch that I didn't watch? Because I love this <laughs> sequence. Uh, no offense if you guys if you guys have <laughs> I'm not I'm not uh sorry I I disagree with that I think it's a really wonderful piece of filmmaking there are some criticisms maybe we can get into that a little bit but Josh what are some of your thoughts there yeah oh I I think it's brilliant I, I think the way that it is interspersed um I think it looms it looms so large in my mind in my memory of the film uh, that I thought it was just an entire sequence that was unbroken. Uh, and in revisiting the film, seeing how it is broken up by Robert's kind of attempt to reintegrate himself into family life, I think is just such a, a an incredible choice that uh, Troll makes in his editing. I think it's so important because... Uh, you see Robert really attempting to, to be home. You see him trying, but he is haunted by what he has seen. He has lived through just really, really extreme trauma and the filmmaking style 
is such a departure. We don't have that uh, that lush oboe, uh, the 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 really gorgeous score that um, we have come to love about this uh, this film from this film. We have something that is uh, that sets us on edge. The while we get a lot of close-ups in the film, the close-ups here feel more jarring. Uh, it almost feels like he's using a fisheye lens or more extreme close-ups. Um, and I know he's not using that, but it just, the way he's pushing in on the characters and the way that he is really uh, uh, whipping the camera around, it's just so disorienting and creates this really hallucinatory effect. And uh, the use of sound throughout the sequence is just really magnificent as well. Mm. Uh, the Foley work um, and the way that uh, he will just amplify certain sounds throughout it to really create this disorienting uh, uh, effect as well. Um, whether it's uh, on the steamboat, uh, just really highlighting the sound of the water uh, or the uh, the riverboat uh, or the 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 sound of the potatoes being cut or the rustle of clothing, just everything is incredibly heightened throughout. And again, it just creates this disorienting uh, effect and the way that's again threaded throughout uh, the sequence of Robert attempting to reintegrate himself into life uh, back home. Uh, it's just really heartbreaking. And uh, I just think it's really masterfully done throughout. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, he, he feels like an innocent, uh, he's a, yeah. Yeah. He, he's a dreamer. He's an innocent, he's an idealist who, you know, has really bought into the, that, you know, even at that nascent time, the mythology of, of America, of the, the new land. And, uh, he enters into this really harsh, unforgiving landscape that really just kind of devours the, the young naive fools who think that they're going to somehow, you know, glide into El Dorado and onto Easy Street, and um, and so yeah, that, that's the tragedy of it. And I, and I think it was a, you know, definitely a, a very uh, important decision to to sort of branch the story out into that part of the settling of of the of the USA and of the West. Uh, so it's not just you know pioneers out on the uh, forest country of Minnesota, there's a, a whole lot of other stories. And of course, many other stories that could have been told, but uh, that was a really important one. And, uh, and even the regrets that Robert expresses about the situation with the cat going way back to the beginning of the first movie and how mm -hmm. he continues to be haunted by these uh, kind of impulsive, reckless decisions that he's made that have absolutely changed and impacted his life and ultimately shortened it, you know, quite tragically. Um, and, you know, but once you've cast your lot, you you can't just turn around and say, oops, let's have a do-over on that one, you know? So it is, it's a very, it's a very haunting uh, chapter of the film. And, uh, you know, also, you know, even, even Carl Oscar's having to reckon with the fact that you know, he brought his kid brother over here. He was expecting maybe a few more years of labor until his boys became of age. And yet he's got to go off and chase his dreams. And, you know, Carl Oscar, the, you know, the hard headed, 
realist as like a brother, you know, but what can he do? He, he, he knows his brother's impulsiveness. He knows his own stubbornness and that you can't just, you know, put the, put the clamps on and, and make him stay home. Uh, and yet, you know, he comes back, uh, Robert thinks he's the conquering hero. He's got this big wad of cash, you know, that, uh, even, you know, you talk about the fully work and the clinking of those coins was even another moment that sort of resonated with me as he realized, you know, he had stumbled into this treasure. He actually did have the, the goods, you know, that he was there looking for, but to make it a little bit more portable because he's, uh, got suckered in by, uh, you know, a money a changer uh, he trades what would have been a true asset into worthless paper and again another sort of demythologizing of the land of opportunity you know not to mention that but robert also has the that sexual humiliation so he at this mm-hmm. point i think he's probably already sick mm-hmm. and yeah. he's just about to leave and return home and he sees a prostitute across the way i read Team of Rivals, uh, the Doris Crohn's Goodwin book mm-hmm. about uh, Abraham Lincoln, and she suggested in it that, like, look, at that time, any man living in these areas would probably lose their virginity to a prostitute, and she even suggested that perhaps that was the case for Abraham Lincoln. Um, not as not as an attack, but just to say that was frontier life. That you know. The, that was how that yeah. was how people interacted sexually, um, and so to see him, so he's already sick. He's already seen all this death and illness. He's you know maturing in this way. You're beginning to realize maybe he's never going to go home and marry that you know Ulrika's daughter, whoever that daughter or the woman was that he was with on the boat. That I thought maybe they'd live happily ever after. Um, and this might be his only shot. And he just is like overwhelmed by the experience and terrified and runs away. And then he runs home. And yeah, he, the, the most intense callback to the first movie is when Robert gets slapped in the ear again, but this time mm-hmm. it's by Carl Oscar, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and Carl Oscar to his credit realizes he was wrong. He apologizes, but yeah, it's a, that's a, Oh gosh, I think uh, that's that story is tragic. Christina's story is also tragic, but like Robert's life was just cut short so early. Um, you know, I really felt that loss after after the hours I spent with him. Well, I'm keeping an eye on the clock, and I do want to talk about the Native American that whole subplot as well, um, just so that we have a chance to get you guys uh, an opportunity to react to the story. Uh, there's a couple different encounters that uh, Carl Oscar has with Indians in the area, and it ultimately turns into another horrific situation. And again, Troyal could have excised that whole story or maybe you know not complicated things to the extent that he did. But he, again, here's the man from Sweden telling Americans a bit of their story that maybe they don't even want to encounter or face. Uh, what did you think about the the whole sort of the, the, you know the, the massacre of the family, the uh, you know subsequent uh, execution of a of a whole band of Sioux warriors? I mean, to me, boy, it stirred stirred up a lot of very complicated feelings. Um, just the reality and the gravity of it all. I, I think that the troll really just he threads this so 
incredibly throughout the entire film. I think uh, these encounters are placed so purposely um, just throughout um, the entire running time of the film so that um, we begin to, to sense the growing tensions between the the Swedish settlers and the uh, Native Americans who are being displaced, and um, and I think that it's it's done so purposefully um, so that we get that sense that um, that there is this going to be this growing conflict, and I you know I I think that he's doing it in a really really intentional way so that uh, we don't um, we don't get a uh a sense well the uh, and the game is being you know the, the whole you know the, the whole ecosystem is being altered the, the indians can't live off of yeah. the same resources that they'd been accustomed to for centuries probably yeah yeah and and i really appreciate that sense the the conversation that happens uh when carl oscar has the conversation with the other swedish man uh and there's that 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 bit where there's the, the discussion about, um, you know, you have, um, you have purchased, you have purchased stolen land. Uh, and, and Carl Oscar says, you know, I, I, I earned this land. I followed the law. I, I did everything right. And, uh, you know, and I think that there is, uh, this mm -hmm. is something that is really, um, uh, really important to the the entire crux of the film, and and I think that you brought that, civilization to this land. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that that troll is really clear eyed about this and about the the displacement, um, and I think that uh, it it never really um, we never really get a sense that uh, that the that I, I think it's just done so so even-handedly and so um so honestly and so it's it's there's so much empathy for what the the plight of the native american people uh being pushed out of their 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 land there and the execution is just absolutely uh horrific uh when that happens it's just it's shot um so powerfully and uh uh yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah, it's it's just it's pretty. Uh, it's just it's a it's just this really just haunting moment uh, at the end of the film. And again, that kind of unblinking, you know, fly on the wall. This is what it was like. I mean, it's it, he's not zooming in. I mean, it's 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 not played for pathos. It's just a it's yeah. really a, as close to documentary as a scene like that possibly could have been made. And it's it's all the more chilling and effective because of it. Well, the execution scene, I had the feeling of the ending of Salo because of the angle that it, that it was looking down mm. and sort of, yeah, yeah that, um, you know, emotionless or distanced uh, uh, sense of camera work while, while this tragedy is taking place in front of our eyes, this max, mass execution. Um, and, you know, I mean, yeah, no, I... The, uh, Josh, I'm so glad you brought up the, what I think is m my favorite scene in the film, which is that conversation between Carl Oscar and the other the other uh, Swedish guy in the woods, where Carl makes the straight up 
Republican small business owner argument, which is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> I've actually taken this land yeah. and I've put it to good use and I'm <laughs> like, I'm maximizing economically. So actually I'm producing more food. Um, and the other guy is, it's just, it's as if Jan Truel is in the place of that other interlocutor and says, look, you're right. You did nothing wrong. But, <laughs> you know, there are bodies of Native American children that are found with the bones chewed. And that's partly because of you. And uh, to Carl Oscar's credit, I feel like maybe I've been a little bit too condemning of the guy. He knows in that moment, it fully breaks through. And he's known all along to some extent, but it fully breaks through. And I think that that's a really wonderful moment. We do have to say, though, Jan Truel is not, again, he's not allowing us to sit with this, you know, just the, uh, 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 just the horror of what, of what, uh, the displacement has done to Native Americans, but also that there was horror all around. And, you know, there are a few, th for a film that had clearly been playing, so basically what happens throughout the film is there's these interactions between Native Americans and the settlers. And because I'm conditioned off of country Western films, I'm thinking, not country Western, sorry, that's music genre. I'm conditioned off of, you know, John Wayne Western <laughs> films that, okay, they're going to do something bad. But each time that that happens for most of this film, actually, it's either an overreaction of the white immigrants or it's just plain old suffering on behalf of the Native Americans. Until it isn't that. And when it isn't that, it's like, there. there's no punches pulled. It is, uh, I had known of these atrocities, I think from Deadwood. And so I knew that something like this had happened. I was not expecting this film to go to the places that it goes. It essentially, like, there's a still from Cannibal Holocaust. I've never seen that film because I'm scared of it. But this film goes there. Like... And just an absolutely unblinking yeah. look at the human I know what experience. you're talking about, yeah. An unblinking human, uh, uh, look at the human experience mm -hmm. and all of its nuance. And, you know, it does not let us, let us uh, uh, just look at things in a black and white fashion. I think, obviously, Jan Truel, you know, like points out the great, what the greater crime is. Um, but, you know, we get, we see all sides uh, uh so you really understand like why people make the decisions that they do. Yeah. It's a powerful, yeah. The, oh, yeah. It's, the corruption, the evil, the horror, it, it permeates everything. It's, it's, it's inescapable. Yeah. I was not expecting this aspect of the film to be as powerful as it was it, because of everything we've seen up until this point. I just had no expectation that it was going to go where it did. And I think it was all the more powerful for it. This is yeah. a this is a this is a hell of a film, mm -hmm. and it is nuanced. It, it really is, yeah. It's it's extremely subtle in some ways, but boy, when it says "let's set the subtlety aside," it clobbers you right <laughs> between the eyes. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Which is amazing. People don't really talk about that aspect of this film. I don't know if it's because it was left out of earlier American edits, or it's just because like you don't want to talk about it because it's so horrific. But yeah, you yeah, know, it yeah, was, it's not, yeah, I can imagine an American edit that really focused on the 
pastoral, idyllic, you know, <laughs> noble, set, you know, uh, yeah. you know, conquerors of the prairie, because that movie is there if you take certain pieces out of it, you know? Right. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts yeah, I, as we kind of wrap up this segment? I know our time's up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I have to say that, you know, this, this film, this film is just, um, you know, we, we've talked a lot about the, uh, the way this film demythologizes the, uh, the, the settler experience. And, uh, I just, I think it's, it takes somebody outside of our culture, I think, to uh, really explore that. And I think that Jan Troll just does an amazing job uh, with this film. And uh, it's mm-hmm. it's an incredible film that I cannot recommend highly enough. It's, it's an amazing, amazing work. Good. Well, that's probably a good note to wrap up this portion of the conversation. Of course, it flew by, had a blast talking with you guys. Uh, John, you're getting married. Congratulations, my man. That's pretty exciting. We really yeah, wish you and Kelly all the best. And hope you have a wonderful ceremony this weekend. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about how uh, a COVID wedding is going to go down in 2021? <laughs> yeah, I'm just so, I'm just so fortunate. Um, you know, I found, uh, uh, I found my perfect match and, uh, yeah, we're gonna get yeah. we're gonna get married on our rooftop. It's uh, gonna be it's gonna be two witnesses: the officiant, myself, my fiance, and our dog Peanut. So it's gonna be very intimate. It's gonna be cold. It's gonna be thirty five degrees, so it's probably gonna be very short. Um, yeah, and David, no, it's been absolutely a treat to talk with you. Um, you know, you're a bit of a TikTok superstar now, so I'm glad that glad that you can still make time for us this is uh this is awesome <laughs> well you know i got a hobnob with the little people there <laughs> no, I, well, I wish you the best this weekend and uh we look forward to getting you back on the show really soon and josh anything you want to sort of drop in as by way of plugs i know you've been putting new episodes out there all of that yeah you know um as people who listen to my show and uh know you know i've been had a couple of health issues so i am just trying to get episodes out as i'm able to so there will be new episodes out uh as i can so yeah thanks thanks for having me on this has been great to be a part of this episode super okay listeners we'll just uh, we'll have a little musical interlude here i'll be back with trevor and phil in just a minute so hang in there All right, and here we are picking up the conversation where uh, Josh and John and I left off the other night. I'm here with Phil DeCane and Trevor Barrett. Good morning, guys. Thanks for uh, getting together with me to pick up the conversation about Jan Trolls, The New Land. Uh, Phil DeCane is my first guest. Phil, let's go ahead and get you get into the mix here. How's it going this morning? It's going very well. Thank you, David. Good morning, uh, David and Trevor. Thanks for having me on. It's really nice to hear from you again. And Trevor, of course, we've been at it pretty frequently, it seems, over the past few months, kind of get our collaboration partnership uh, in pretty full effect here. But it's great to have you back on uh, to resume the conversation we started a couple of years ago when we first got into Trolls, <laughs> the Emigrants. And uh, here we are. It's not quite an inside the box episode, but it wouldn't be too far from it. You no, know, we're no, talking work. about a <laughs> pretty, pretty long uh, six and a half hours of film uh, on a pretty epic scale. 
a tale of uh, immigration and settlement into uh, uh, from an old life into a new one. So, uh, yeah, so let's just kind of get things rolling right away. Phil, you're kind of new to this conversation, and I don't know how much uh, you've seen of this film, if this is something you've been living with for a while, or if you just wanted to hop into the episode and, and watch it for the first time. So tell me just a little bit about your uh, your experience with the immigrants and the new land before we get into discussing the new land proper. Sure. Um, yeah, I have been living with these films for a little while. I um, So Criterion released their Blu-ray in uh, 2016. But prior to that, I don't think I had really heard of these films much uh, uh, before. So when they came out, I was intrigued by them, and I rented them, and I watched them both. So this is probably three years, three, four years ago now. And uh, I was immediately blown away by them and, and taken in by them, and I think they're fantastic. And um, they really kind of moved me because, like, like many of us, I mean, like all of us, pretty much, you know, we have ancestors who are immigrants who came to this new land, and many of which came here quite a long time ago and you know and I think Trevor was talking about this on the immigrants podcast I think it was Trevor sometimes we have very little connection with them we feel, we might know their names of our great grandparents or our great great parents but we don't really know who they are what their lives were like what their personalities were like what they went through and my ancestors in particular some of them actually came from Norway uh, which of course is right there next to Sweden and the whole Scandinavian cultures are very sort of interlinked and similar. So on that level too, it sort of really, you know, made me feel a connection with my ancestors and what they may, something, they may have gone through something very similar to what these people went through. They came over here uh, in the 1880s and they settled in Iowa. So a little bit late, quite a bit later than the events of this film. I think maybe those lands were a little bit less wild in the 1880s than they were in the 1850s when these films take place. But Still, I feel these films sort of opened up a window into maybe a little bit of what some of their lives might, might have been like. I, when this uh, episode was coming up, I did watch both films again over the past couple of months. So I was able to, um, you know, reconnect with them and reaffirmed how great they were. You know, by the second viewing, I feel, I feel like they were just as good as they were the first time. Yeah, you know, and for a six and a half hour epic, especially since you watched them both, because I, I haven't actually revisited the immigrants in preparation for this episode, but it still feels like they 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 move along pretty quickly, or at least compellingly. Like you, you'd, I'd never felt my interest lagging in any of these films, and and uh, I've watched them several times. Like I say, the Newland I watched a couple times in preparation for today, but. Uh, yeah, they're they're just so 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 uh, fascinating. Uh, so many details to get absorbed into. Of course, a great arc of a story, and um, it's great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more of your thoughts on that. Uh, Trevor, why don't you give us your kind of introductory overview of the new land? All right. Yeah, like Phil was saying, it's it's hard for me to watch these and not immediately be taken to uh, you know stories of my ancestors that I've heard and. I didn't revisit our podcast on the emigrants, uh, but or, or I might be repeating myself. <laughs> so thanks for thanks for uh, for that, Phil, because I do remember definitely feeling that way. And with this one in particular, where you do get a little bit of the Western landscape as well as that lush, you know, um, Minnesota ground, uh, it, it it just continues to hit home that there's you know the the lives and and journeys 
that are we we get the we get the surface level when we look at dates. You know, we 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 look at a gravestone and we see that dash in the middle of a birthday and a and a death day, and you know, we 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 may be able to kind of get some really vague idea of who these people were. But these films and, and the New Land continues on with this are built from intimate moments. You know, it's an epic story that really focuses on, like you just said, David, the details. And we have an amazing guide in Jan Troll's camera to take us through this and to really, you know, make us settle onto someone preparing dinner. It's not it's not as as slow and and I don't know. There, there are other films where you're like, "Oh, it's so interesting." They're they're just preparing their dinner. <laughs> That's not exactly what Troll is going after here, but you just get those details of work, and you get their glances at each other. Um, you get the glances from the children as a as a chicken is being you know butchered up for for food later on, mm-hmm. and it it really is a. a wonderful way to start getting into you know at least imagining a way into some of these heads and the struggles and the the minor triumphs as they are and i'd love how these films play out over the course of many seasons you know you see the snowfall you see the 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 planting you see the harvest you see the snowfall and it keeps going back and forth and then overlaying all of that is the seasons of these lives too, of of the the two leads in particular, where they start to age, and uh, you know it, it, a lot of this is through makeup and such. But you know Liv Ullman in particular, as, as she gets older, just you really start to see the wear of these years, and you realize this is their their fall season as well, you know, and. Um, it's going to be over soon. So there's there's also all of this idea of the the immigrant story, but just these lives, you know, delicately um, portrayed. That uh, the, the the new land really continues on. I I do feel like the new land is a little more explicit in the the larger narrative. You know, other things going on. It's not maybe quite as um, impressionistic as the immigrants in a lot of this though you know it's still very much that uh but you know we get we get more events and more things that we can maybe uh put our finger on and say oh yeah we've i learned about that in history you know it it, there's a little bit more of that but ultimately still it doesn't drift too far away from that just here's carl oscar and his family and as he you know in a way seeds the new land with his with his own children and generations that are that are kind of us they're forgetting you know they don't speak swedish at the end they're forgetting their heritage to an extent and moving on with their own lives all across the united states and you know i'm like oh yeah well that that's that's me you know a few generations away even mm-hmm. further and um here it all kind of comes back to this little acorn and uh, opening it up yeah you know i i'm reminded of the uh, the Troll's earlier film, Here Is Your Life. <laughs> and that's kind of what we see here. This is, here is Carl uh, Oscar's life. Here is Christina's yeah, I, life. I, I wrote here that is down Robert's in my notes. Life. <laughs> here is your life, again. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you're right. With with the immigrants, you've got this arc of 
the journey and the arrival, you know, uh, how they got from where they were to where they are now. And so you, you have that almost kind of that quest or that adventure of making the uh, transatlantic voyage from the old country to the new country. And with the new land, now that they've gotten there, here's what happens. And, and you're right, the, it's the investment of their, their very being into this, uh, you know, untamed wilderness into this kind of uh, creation of a new community, even though, as I've already talked about in the first segment, Carl Oscar seems to be a bit of a of, of a loner as far as uh, his basic impulses are concerned. You know, he he will have you know fellowship with his neighbors and he'll do business, but he really kind of wants to do his own thing. And uh, Christina, as the faithful wife, basically has to come along with him. She she cast her lot with him when she was still a teenager. Uh, and, uh, you know, she recognized that Carl Oscar had this driving, uh, impulse to, to, you know, tear up his roots and, and relocate. And, and as a good wife, she had to come along. She gave him children. She never quite got over that transition. You definitely sense the longing, the homesickness, uh, the desire to preserve what she can of their old way of life. Um, that she had always, you know, dreamed of probably living in her home country or, or amongst her own people. And yet that's not the destiny that, uh, that was in store for her. And, uh, I think her, her particular story here is, is, is quite compelling, even though she doesn't survive to the end of the film. But, but even the way she sort of departs the story is, is very moving, uh, because of just the simplicity and the kind of, you know, the quiet understatedness of um, of how that relationship developed over the years and then, you know, came to its end, uh, leaving Carl Oscar as a survivor, a widower, uh, for, you know, a significant number of years after she passed on. Uh, and, and really, you could say that her life was kind of one of the prices paid to establish this new community. She she died young. She died because of the difficulties of bearing as many children as, as they did. Um, and yet this isn't so much a family story either because the children are sort of, they're pretty marginal characters. Isn't it interesting that uh, even though that next generation comes about, it seems like Troll and perhaps uh, Wilhelm Moberg in his novels kept the focus on that first generation, those, those settlers, and what happened to them. Um, Phil, tell me just a little bit more about some of your responses to the the development of these characters. You know, like I say, you know, the pioneers kind of came over, they settled, they they you know, laid down kind of the uh, their claims to the land, but then once they're here, uh, each story kind of takes on its own individual dimension. Uh, well, what were your thoughts? Uh, did you were you surprised by the way that uh, the characters developed, or what they experienced uh, once they had settled in? Well, it is remarkable how, like like you say, I want to pick up on how little we know about their children, and how little we get to know that their children as characters, and. I think it kind of serves to emphasize that sort of disconnect that we feel from the other side with many of our ancestors who we don't know. So we're watching this film and we get to know them. They have very little sense of their children and even less their grandchildren and, and, and what they might become. And I thought that was very interesting. Because um, that's not the way these types of movies usually do it, you know. Uh, my family and I were actually kind of going through roots 
the TV miniseries from the 1970s. And that's mm, another mm-hmm. immigrant story. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it very much focuses on generation to generation, th- to three, maybe four generations. And it gives you this sense of movement and the sense of uh, hope and optimism for the future. Even though, what, even though uh, those people in that story had probably a much rougher time of it than the, the Swedes did. But, um, and as far as the arc of the... Um, Immigrants and when they came here, they're definitely well. The, the new land, more so than the immigrants, kind of takes two different tracks. It it it, it tells you the sedentary story of Carl uh, Oscar and Christina who stay on the farm and try to build the farm and the family. And then on the other hand, you have Robert and Arvid, who are sort of the young, the youthful dreamers who want to go out and 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 find gold and find adventure and find, you know. Yet another step forward, yet another movement uh, forward, go west. Yeah, yeah. T- two different takes on the promised land and what it has to offer. Is it the land itself, uh, you know, growing crops and establishing your homestead and kind of, uh, you know, building your own little uh, fortress, if you will, your own little encampment where you raise up the children and, and the children really are, I think the, especially the way that uh, Troll tells the story, the children are basically just kind of another form of crops, right? <laughs> you just bring them up so that they can uh, help out on the farm and, and uh, you know, c- contribute, you know, pull their share of the load and, and uh, build a foundation for uh, a future that's perhaps somewhat unknown, but it is kind of uh, establishing a legacy that way. Uh, you're right. The other side, uh, Robert and Arvid, are like looking a little bit more for the easy way out. They want to they wanna dig gold out of the soil. They want to have riches kind of land in their lap through uh, being in the right place at the right time, making the discovery, getting in uh, ahead of the rest of the, the crowd, uh, only to discover that they really are just kind of suckers who've been brought along uh, at, at, on the lower end of the pyramid scheme, so to speak. Uh, Trevor, you know, as a man of the West yourself, you know, I know your your family's uh, from Idaho, and and uh, you could probably relate a little bit more to some of that. Uh, you know, the pioneers who didn't just want to land and and uh, settle in the Midwest; they kept on moving. Uh, tell me just a little bit more about your your response to the the Western side of this adventure. Oh well, I again I I probably I might repeat myself just a little bit here because I <laughs> I don't remember all that I said in the immigrants. But one of my favorite things to do here is go to these um, ghost towns that actually aren't even ghost towns anymore. They're just land. Um, there's the 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 trail that a lot of um, settlers took from the east to California runs through southern Utah. And there are all kinds of settlements uh, along that trail that are way out in the nowhere now. You know, they're not on the interstate. They're not by St. George, you know, really close. Or they're, you know, they're they're just kind of out in the middle of these these ragged mountains. There aren't even real roads to them anymore. But you can go and see them and often find... You know, well, here's here's a, a little bit of a remnant of a cabin that they had, and I really enjoy going to those places because there is this sense of dream. There's this sense of this is where some people did decide to plant down um, for a, a period, and you know, some some of these places are called like hope or um, prosperity. You know, I mean, that's the name of the of the town that no longer exists. Um, and it's just it's 
it's so interesting to me to see this this push and these lives that were you know this is how they were spent and and to have no trace of them anymore other than you know if you're really looking hard is it's an interesting feeling i i wouldn't necessarily say it's depressing because you know we all have hopes and dreams and uh, and we we live our lives and uh, you know that that's it's the day-to-day stuff and i think that's where where this film really really shines is you know they are still passing hours they are still passing uh, minutes and uh, with one another and their their relationships and you know i go to these places and just see these this this get this sensation of uh this is this is where some people you know did that had their families had their neighbors um others moved through you know it's a trail and you can still see the trail and the that's where i think of robert and arvid you know just on this brutal uh path and i you know seeing that landscape it it took me right back to many of my hikes through that same country um to find these places and i always felt very safe because my car is not very far away but (laughs) it it would be you know devastating to wake up in the morning and think i've got to somehow get across all of this um, and find water uh, that's dirty and uh, you know not polluted yet but is dirty and um, with other things and figure out how to eat and get get across all of this because on the other side of it all is the answer to all of my prayers you know and and how devastating it is their their story is very very tragic in 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 this um but just to bring it back to 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 my home and then i'll then i'll shut up for a minute (laughs) um (laughs) a lot of mine were were ancestors who did uh come west to settle in utah or idaho um and they they there's a place here uh i live in in salem utah and spanish fork is very close there's also spanish trail you know uh, connection there um I don't live very far away from kind of a ridge. And I learned not too long ago that when they first started settling here, they built their homes into the mount into that ridge. You know, it's a dirt big big mound and that's where they dug into and started to started their homes not above ground but underneath it for for some time while they were getting things established. And that reminded me of of Carl Oscar and and Christina um, you know, building that little little cabin and then seeing the land start to develop around them slowly over the years, you know, better houses being built, you know, somewhere somewhere far away and then getting a little closer, you start to see more pathways and r- turn into roads. And, you know, now that ridge is just a ridge, just like any other. But that's where people had um, had staked their claim and, again, lived lived some some minutes and some hours and some years. Um, sitting there thinking, dreaming, uh, being with one another, getting into arguments, you know, having, having, uh, love and friendship. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, David. I don't, re- I, no. I remember your question. <laughs> I have no idea how I got where I am, but, yeah. but it, that's, that's where my head goes when I'm watching these films. It, it is, a, it is, I, I am interested in Carl Oscar and I am interested in Christina, but they're emblematic to me. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. they, they are, they are i'm imagining other things as i'm watching them i'm learning about more things as i'm watching them um i'm only realizing that as i say this that when i think of the emigrants in the new land i don't think of of them as 
their own individual story. I think of them and how it builds into other stories I've heard, and I'm not sure if that's fair to them, uh, you know, into the to the to these films. Other than I love how something that's built so intimately with these characters and their conversations can somehow be more universal to me. Yeah, well, the you know the characters. I mean, their lives uh, certainly by today's standards, uh, technologically speaking, and perhaps because they are somewhat isolated characters. I mean, they're they're part of a a social network of sorts, but it's it's a much smaller um, social network, and I I would not even say it's an especially intimate. I mean. These people seem to live at some distance from each other. I mean, there are certainly times where they have to rely on each other. Uh, you know, the <laughs> the close quarters in the immigrants when they're all on the ship, you know, uh, forcing themselves to be in kind of close proximity. But it, it really struck me that once Carl Oscar gets his patch of land, he's basically out there doing his own thing for as much as he can and interacting with the rest of the community only when he has to. Um, and, and that even his relationships with the family don't seem especially warm or affectionate. Not, not that he's cold, not that he's certainly nothing approaching abusive or, or anything, but he's just really, you know, this, the, the stereotypically, uh, taciturn, reserved, soft-spoken, hardworking, uh, Northern European guy, you know, he's, He's, he's the rugged individualist who, you know, the still waters run deep. I mean, you can try out all the cliches, I guess, if you want to. That's, that's the kind of guy he strikes me as. And, and I come from a, a family uh, that's fairly well populated by those types of men. Uh, I'm a lot more on the empathetic, relational side, it seems to me anyways. Um, I love my family, and I'm pretty expressive of all of that. But I've certainly had a lot of experience in my life about these kind of, you know, fairly stern, fairly uh, introverted men who just kind of run the show and uh, don't like to talk themselves up all that much and and kind of keep a lot of their inner thoughts and feelings to themselves, except at very critical moments. Um, you, going back to the Robert and Arvid stories, you know, those are the men who are pretty simple country folk. They're very ready to buy into the dream, into the possibility uh, even into the you know the hucksterism that uh, is is out there is, is absolutely part of the American character and experience. You know the you know the the peddler, the get rich quick schemes, the uh, you know the people who are out there just looking for those dreamers that they can kind of take advantage of, and uh, you know perhaps introduce them to something that might turn out to their benefit, but more often is going to be a source of disappointment and discouragement. And of course, uh, in, in this situation, in, in this kind of frontier environment, the stakes are really high. If, if something goes wrong, people may die. People may be, you know, critically injured for life. Even the discipline that, uh, that Robert experienced as a young man where he got boxed upside the ears turns into a lifelong disability. And, uh, and sadly for Robert, his life was not very long to begin with. So, you know, these are, these are the kind of the reminders of the relative comfort and affluence that we live within nowadays. Mm -hmm. Um, but it grows from a foundation where, um, you know, life was, was in many cases short, brutal, and nasty. And, uh, and the fact that, uh, Carl Oscar lived to a ripe old age, is perhaps a testament uh, to his own, you know, perseverance, and perhaps a, a way of saying, yeah, his 
kind of playing it close to the vest, you know, ultimately did pay off for him because uh, he was a survivor and he was able to see that legacy of uh, grandchildren, maybe even great grandchildren, as you see in that closing photograph at the end of the film, uh, which again is, is again an emblem of what many of us look back on as we look at those first couple generations and those old family portraits of these <laughs> mysterious people and their solemn postures surrounded by a, a bunch of younger people, but they're sort of sitting at the center of the portrait, um, kind of showing the, uh, you know, the, the, the crops, so to speak, that they've raised, uh, over the course of their years. Um, yeah, yeah. Phil, where do you want to pick that up? Do you want to take it in a new direction at all? Well, you said a lot there that reminded me of, of a lot of things I wanted to, um, talk about. So the ending of the film and that old photograph, of course, is huge. And it so much reminds me of old photographs I have that are very similar in terms of, you know, the older patriarch and matriarch of the family with their 10 children around them or whatever. And, and again, how, how little I know of who that person was and how yeah. these two films really served for six hours leading up to that ending to kind of give me a sense of who those people might have been. Um, but you also reminded me about something that when I was watching The New Land for the second time that struck me that I didn't quite remember. As far as these immigrants and they are they live quite a ways from each other and they're not quite as connected to each other. Um, in the emigrants, that's a story of a community in Sweden. Mm -hmm. they, they, they come over and there's Ulrika and there's Daniel, the, the, the minister uncle, and there's this community of neighbors that are relatively tight knit and they come over and they come over on the boat. I was struck watching the new land the second time, how little we see of those other characters. We see Ulrika, a couple times here and there as she interacts with Christina. Um, and I think we see Daniel. It's, it's, I think his name is Daniel. That's mm -hmm. the family. I think it's his family. I think that is the one that is slaughtered yes. by the native yes. Americans. At the, mm -hmm. And that's the only time in the new land. I think you see him in terms of getting to know him, his family and his experience. There's in fact, if you hadn't seen the immigrants or hadn't seen it for many years, you might not even know who that, who he is and how he's connected to, Carl Oscar and Christine. <laughs> yeah, really right. Struck right. me the second time mm -hmm. that I watched the new land. Well, and they're right, and there are there were villages. There were probably more closely packed, you know, not urban settlements necessarily, but you know, clusters where people would build houses near each other, and you'd have little town centers or or uh, places where you could do trade. And and you see, you see Carl Oscar going into town a few times to, you know, to you know trade his wares and pick up supplies. Uh, but I think he very intentionally, you know, left all that behind. And uh, perhaps that was a bit of a, a trend or a, a fashion, if you will, because there was, you know, at least uh, in their view of it, there was lots of land for the taking and you could grab acres and acres of nice fertile soil and uh, and really, you know, set yourself up for future prosperity. Um, although, the, you know, the, the, what's interesting to me is, is how Troll and presumably Moberg, I haven't re gotten to those point in the novels yet, um, you know, focused on some of the, you know, cultural and, and even political issues of the times. You know, there are allusions to Carl Oscar wanting to suit up and go fight in the Civil War because he thinks that that's what a man is supposed to do. 
uh, but an old injury that he experienced back in his youth, oh, back in Sweden, uh, prevents him, uh, much to Christina's relief, from being able to, you know, take his place in the Union Army. But there's still a, a, you know, he has a sense of, of loyalty and, and even nascent patriotism, which is very interesting because a, a man who you, you see as a loner, as a bit of an isolationist, is still um, feels a compulsion to go fight in a war because that's kind of the manly thing to do. Well, and I, yeah, and this was his idea to come yeah. to America. So he very much yeah. feels like America is his. This is my idea to, to be here. I, mm-hmm. I want to love this country and I want to, you know, be a part of what um, society feels like I should be a part of. Yeah, even though I don't think he had any particular beef with the South, you know, or the Confederacy. I mean, he's way up there in Minnesota. True. Uh, questions of slavery and, and states' rights and all the other issues that led into the conflict between, uh, you know, Lincoln and, and his, uh, his, his military and, and the Southern Confederacy. That's all pretty far away. So there was some kind of a sense of what you consider maybe honor or duty or, uh, you know, maybe this this was a sense of a new adventure for him. Perhaps if we get into Moberg's novel, we might get a little bit more into Carl Oscar's um, processing. You know, was he at some point feeling a little restless and looking for a new adventure? Uh, or was this strictly uh, based on patriotic sentiments and a sense of obligation? I'm not sure. Well, I will say I did pick up those novels recently. Yeah, and, right. Um, I, I saw your video. Yeah, of course, cool. I haven't had a chance. <laughs> I have uh, opened them up here and there and just read some passages here and there. And yeah. I happened to read some very interesting passages. And so in the films, you're right, they don't really touch on. I was kind of waiting for them to touch on the African-American experience a little bit and all those issues mm-hmm. with slavery and everything. But in the novels, mm-hmm. they do touch on that a little bit. You know, when yeah. there's, a, there's, a, there's a portion where Robert is visiting. He's, he comes back from the West and he's visiting. Um, Carl Oscar, and they're reading Swedish language newspapers, and they're reading about slavery. They're reading about the upcoming potential war and some of those issues. And so, in the novels, those do get touched on a little bit. Um, hmm. In the films, for whatever reason, they kind of didn't put a lot of emphasis on that. Well, I think there's it was it's a long story. I mean, these are six and a half hours, so it's not like they they shortchanged us necessarily. No. But you're right; they they can only take on so many different themes. Uh, there is that appearance of the slaves and the immigrants when they're on the steamship there as well. But it's oh, very elliptical. Yeah, it's a it's a quick moment. It passes uh, almost almost without notice if you're not paying attention or really thinking about it. Uh, Trevor, what did you think about the, you know, any, any of the, the political or cultural aspects, uh, some of the social commentary or critique that might have been sort of weaved into this uh, story of survival and endurance out on the harsh frontier? Oh, good question. Um, <laughs> definitely my mind usually goes to that story of survival and, and all of all of that going on. Uh, because to me, they are more, um, you know, like like the slaves on the steamship. They they touch up against American history and American culture and American politics. At the same time, they are trying to remain a little bit away from it. They don't necessarily at this point speak the language, uh, and maybe don't even fully understand everything that's going on around them that, that we can pick up on even at a glimpse. 
but as they start to settle and, you know, this stuff starts to develop more around them, both within their neighborhood, as, as big as that is, and their, their needs to somewhat integrate into that, uh, but also as we start to see, you know, the relationships with the, the Native Americans, how fraught that is, uh, always a threat of violence for them, while at the same time we recognize it's not like the, the Native Americans are free from that from the settlers or or that the settlers, you know, who, who basically have the thought uh, that Carl Oscar has of this is my land, I'm improving it, it is, it is therefore mine, um, you know, that, that sentiment going on and, and, you know, but here they start to get wrapped up more in the, the politics and the treaties with the Dakota and the Sioux. And we see how that plays out toward the end of the film in, you know, what is still the largest uh, mass execution in American history. And it just happens to be uh, a, a big group of, of Native Americans. And yes, uh, that was, you know, we, we get a very graphic uh, idea as to, to how that came about. Uh, but we can see the intimations of a lot of this going on, even as much as Carl Oscar would love to just be on his own and build his home, and plant his crops, and see his children get raised. You know, all of this is developing around them, and eventually it does, you know, it touches, it touches your life when you're, when you're in these, these things. History, you know, you live through it. It's, it's a part of, of you, and it's going to, uh, to, to, to be a bigger role than maybe we all want it to be. Um, it's it's hard to it's hard to, to look at this and and not see the pages of history turning. Uh, as much as for these characters, they're more focused on their moment, and I I, I do see a lot of that cultural and political commentary um, playing over here. I think it's interesting with the religion and the religion that we see at the beginning of the emigrants and how here. Uh, some of that starts to play out too. I mean, it, it's it's it, it it's such a br- <laughs> it's so rich. You know, any little detail in a room um, could call to mind either religion or politics or or their homes in Sweden. Um, and Troll knows how to just give it all glances and uh, and and keep the story moving as life moves uh, with all this stuff uh, touching on it. Yeah, no, I th- those are great observations. Just because we we see these characters moving, um, you know, through their lives, and really just having to sort of put up with those larger historic and cultural forces. Um, you know, there again, there's there's no particular hostility expressed. I don't think you know um, Carl Oscar came over to you know actively take land from the Indians. He just said, hey, "There's new land." You can work it, you can develop it, you can pay the government for a title deed. Um, there's an opportunity here. And again, I, I, you know, as I was kind of revisiting and, and really thinking this through, it's like, you know, these men, these, these families, men and women, really were you know, growing up in a system, uh, the old country Swedish uh, way of life, that was pretty cruel, pretty exploitive, pretty brutal and unforgiving as well. Uh, they had the difficult environmental situation that the, the available farmland was strewn with boulders in their particular part of Sweden. Uh, so it was very difficult to raise a good crop. They had to put up with the uh, variables of, of 
of harsh weather, drought, and, and other types of things, taxation, the, the pressures of the state church, you're bringing religion into it, and the, um, the lack of uh, opportunity to follow their own conscience, you know, and, and uh, you know, escape from the centralized authority of the official Lutheran uh, church. And so there were plenty of reasons for them to say, you know what, this system sucks. <laughs> Let's get out of here, you know. And and yet they bring over in, in their, you know, relative innocence, but, but not complete innocence. I mean, these are men who are uh, operating from an, uh, an angle of power and leverage and control, and, and uh, I'm going to get them before they get me. I mean, I think that's very much what, what you see happening in those later scenes where after sort of that initial sort of, you know, making some sort of uh, tentative peace, you, you, you see situations where uh, Native American women come onto the property and it's very tense. It's very silent. There's not a lot of, you know, verbalization there because nobody speaks each other's language, but I'm going to give you some of my food in order to maintain this equilibrium of you live on your land. We live on ours. We'll get along. We'll, we'll make it work. Until eventually that balance tips, the Indians be find, find themselves just locked out of more and more land, uh, you know, with hunting, with agriculture, with technology, their way of life is less sustainable than it once was. And so they take desperate measures because they're hard pressed and they, they strike back and they slaughter a family that you know, on the one hand, this is innocent women and children. In fact, a woman bearing a child is is slaughtered, sliced up. It's it's terrible. It's it's horrendous and you know practically unforgivable. And yet, at the same time, what's happening to the Indians and their families and and uh, the deprivations? We're not really you know other than the execution that you've already alluded to. We don't know exactly how hard life was. But you can imagine it must have been pretty hard uh, to push these men to the murderous extremes that, that are depicted here. So as I said in the previous ep uh, segment, um, just such complicated feelings because you can, you know, at least I can recognize the quote-unquote legitimacy of, of both sides here. They're, they're both, you know, the, both the Native Americans and the settlers are looking to survive. Uh, as I've already said, the stakes are high. One mistake, one slip up, and your life could be over, and, and terrible things can happen. Uh, we see another example of this, those high stakes when Carl Oscar and one of his sons are out uh, with the ox, and a, a storm you know, whips up, a, a winter storm whips up very suddenly. Uh, a tree falls in their path, and now their their way home is is blocked. Uh, they're not properly equipped. Uh, Carl Oscar has to make a very, you know, uh, quick decision and a very high cost. He's going to slaughter his ox. He's going to ruin his his uh, investment uh, in order to hopefully, and it's not even a sure thing, preserve his boy's life by you know, cutting open that beast and, and putting the boy inside until he can go back home, come back with some proper, uh, you know, uh, uh, attire and, and get the kid back home because uh, the kid's condition is so fragile that if he doesn't do what he did, uh, his, his own son may die. So again, you're, you're calculating the cost of your legacy. Uh, I'll kill the ox in order to save the boy because you, you can't have both. Uh, but you know, just such incredibly. Was you know, I the was I the only one there who mm -hmm. was reminded of 
The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> I heard John no. talk about that in the first episode, too. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah. Oh, they did. Right. See, yeah. I didn't... George leave. Lucas totally stole that one uh-huh. from here, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, I like I mean, that but, part, yeah. though, David, because oh, it yeah. shows that a lot of this is luck on Carl Oscar's part. I mean, yes, he is a survivor. He is going to do, you know, to the best of, that he can what needs to be done. But some of these um, are very close calls. You, you know, he, he's, and, and that's the thing too, when I read family history things, you know, it's like, oh, today so-and-so was hit on the arm with a, you know, with a, of a tree or, or, you know, even in my own family, you know, the, the, just in the wrong place at the wrong time, getting hit on the head by a by a branch or um, hit by by a, a a train that did something funky or you know it, it that there is a sense that Carl Oscar is a survivor partially also because of luck because there are all kinds of forces both natural and man made um, that he really doesn't have the power to to fully you know uh, thwart. But he, you know, he he manages <laughs> and and gets mm-hmm. gets through his own life, but with a lot of a lot of loss along the way, of course. Uh, but yeah, it really could have gone. You know, he could have ended up like Robert, um, just or, or like Arvid, just ap- happened to drink something wrong in the wrong place. Or imagine if Robert had got, gotten back and spread his disease further, they could have wiped out yeah. the whole family. You know, all in one fell swoop, and that happens. You know, in in, in history. Uh, of course, you know, the, these things continue to happen. In fact, if, if, you know, I knew this time going through it, but watching the emigrants in the new land the first time, back when it came out on Criterion, I always wondered when Christina was going to die. Um, because, oh, yeah. boy, raising that many children, just the all of the things that she was being put through, you just you you know it's coming, and it really could have happened in the first in the first movie. You know, several. Oh, times. I think I think those passages where she's just bleeding profusely on the ship, and mm-hmm. she's seasick, and I mean, just it was horrendous. You know, and uh, I actually have read through that section of the of the original novels, and it's 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 really just quite a quite an ordeal that's described there, uh, not just for Christina, but for every single soul on that ship. Uh, you know, crew and and uh, you know passengers alike, everybody you know paid an, an incredible price. And 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 again, you just think about uh, total side characters, but these these sailors who made these trips frequently, back and forth, back and forth. I mean, what what a life, you know. And so yeah, I think about the relative ease and comfort and affluence that I I think presumably you know all of us uh, on this conversation today um, enjoy. Uh, it is. It's 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 quite quite something to just to think about. You know the the foundation that uh, has been laid for us that we've all sort of <laughs> uh, sprung from, and uh, and what does that say about our life today? I mean, because you know we we do feel still deal with our historic issues, uh, issues of freedom, conscience, liberty. Uh, religious faith, um, government pressures, uh, the the conflicts between people of different uh, ethnicities, and how to uh, take this um, e pluribus and make it into a unum. <laughs> you know, these are these are the fundamental challenges. I think the the new land and the immigrants uh, just kind of reduce or or not reduce but they they bring these stories down to some of their fundamental elements and and uh, we can reflect on 
the similar forces that we live with today, even though in many cases they're much more complicated and, and I would say more nuanced. And, and for that reason, sometimes much more difficult to, um, to resolve. I mean, you know, questions of reparations and, and equality and, and uh, how, do you, how do you atone for the atrocities of the past? Uh, you know, the fact that Troll uh, very deliberately chose to not just show that there was an execution, uh, a sort of a retribution element to the, you know, because, you know, the people who were responsible for this, you know, the slaughter of this family were just what, three, four men. And yet they, they took out wholesale vengeance upon almost every capable, able-bodied man that they could get their hand on. Historically, apparently, uh, President Lincoln pardoned, uh, Many dozens mm-hmm. of warriors. A uh, few I think hundred, were, actually. A few hundred, right? Mm-hmm. So there, there were there were like what forty eight that were executed in, in one fell swoop. Thirty eight. Sorry, quite, I was reading this right before yeah. we started no, this great. morning. No. <laughs> I, I like to be accurate there, but you know, <laughs> the fact that that Troel uh, decided to really faithfully reproduce that. I mean, they they built an exact replica of the of the gallows, the platform, the the positioning of the troops, and this kind of. You know, very ritualistic execution scene. Um, that was pretty compelling, just to sort of see that whole solemn ceremony unfold. Um, you know, it reminded me of the Ascent, uh, recently released mm-hmm. uh, uh, on Blu-ray, uh, a much less elaborate <laughs> execution, but that same kind of clinical, uh, unblinking harshness uh, right there on the screen. You just can't turn away. Well, l- let me ask you this: We talk about this um, retribution that was taken on several um, of the Native Americans. But I think there was more. Now, I, I didn't read about this recently. I, I think I read up on this a few years ago when I first saw the films. I think there was more than one settler family yeah, that was there slaughtered. Were, there were, so it was a general uh, uprising. A lot, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, again, I was looking at this, this, this just this morning again. Uh, there, there were, it, it was going on for a while and it was more widespread than this. It just it. I guess he focuses on the one, and it's yeah. so horrific. But, um, but yeah. So so the, so it it's not quite as. Uh, it, well, it's it's even more complicated. Um, but you know, you you read about it too, and you start to realize, for for many of these settlers, they're living their lives. It's it's machinations going on above everybody's head. Mm-hmm. Uh, similar to to Robert and Arvid, you know, going west, they're they're going to you know they're going to be exploited by people who were there, um, ready to fully exploit and, and waste lives doing so. Um, and similar, a lot of these things that were going on in Sweden that they left because it's been you know m- you know centuries of established uh, exploitation by by people ab- above them. Um, this is starting up and and you know revving up here in the in the states uh, for 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 these settlers and for the Native Americans, you know they're 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 playing parts in a bigger story that they're not really a part of with the treaties and the land agreements and you know the money that's being passed up ahead, above their heads that uh, interests people who have the power to enact such massive retribution. Um, and, and yeah, I, I, I thought that was interesting. You start to see 
and not that this was the first, but you you can see the you know the initial unraveling of some of these things and the structures that are being put into their place that are, as David, you know, you just said, very ornate and complicated now. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the depiction of of Native Americans in this movie. Of course, sure. The way Native Americans are depicted in in films over the years is a long and fraught and complex, you know, history, you know, starting from showing them as, as savages, less than human, and then all the way into the more recent times, more corrective, trying to be corrective and, and depict them maybe too far the other way as I, idyllic, you know, living one with nature and this ideal community. What we see in the new land is something very different something somewhere in between, something on a different level. You know, we see these very poor uh, Native Americans who come by almost begging for food. Um, and then you see this uh, terrible slaughter of the family. And then the depiction of the execution uh, is remarkable because it, it, the way Chuel films it is very sad, very solemn, very... You know, you feel sympathy and empathy for these people who are getting executed. You don't know if these are all justified executions. Who these people, you know. It's what did they actually do to deserve right, this, exactly? Right. Right. It's a yeah. complex and nuanced portrayal. Yeah, well, and, and is this, you know, really an evidence of a genocide? I mean, I think about, you know, Shoah, you know, another film that I watched not that long ago, where you just sort of see this systematic slaughter, these very high-placed decisions to say, you know what, we're just going to get rid of these people. They don't fit our plans. They're too much trouble. Uh, they don't fit what we envision the future to be. That's a very cold, evil, depraved kind of mindset. And yet we have to regard that that was a part of our history. It's not the whole mm -hmm. entirety of the United States and its legacy and its uh, founding principles, but it's there. It is definitely in the mix. And it's a very, uh, you know, again, I've kind of emphasized the point that these are European stories being told, in a sense, to Americans about our people from Europe who came over to this new land, uh, this isn't America telling its own story to itself. And there's a there's an important distinction or difference to be told there uh, because it's, it's still a part of the American um, legacy that I think those of us alive here and now have to have to wrestle with and have to think through and and there's a whole lot that just cannot be done about the past i mean trevor when i was out uh several years ago in your part of the the country uh out west uh, and visiting some of those beautiful locations in southern utah and northern arizona i was just absolutely blown away by the beauty and the and the the wondrous uh, expanse of that land and and you know because the Native American uh, population the tribes have control and access over many of those lands you know I just had a, a glimpse of of what that way of life must have been like and and just how uh, how satisfying you know things were in many respects um, before, you know, the, these cultures, you know, collided with each other and, and what a sad loss that, that it was that the, uh, the European population could not work out a more equitable 
sort of sharing <laughs> of the land and of the resources and even and even learned from this way of life uh, but you're right phil i i do recognize that it's very easy to romanticize and sentimental and idealize you know these these peaceful natives and oh if we'd only learned from them and followed their lead uh and yet it's it's hard not to have you know profound regrets when you look back and really see the the reality of what happened and so much suffering and violence uh, that were experienced by people who really deserved much better than what they got from life. Absolutely. Yeah, and I and I I admit that it's a it's a complicated issue. I I wouldn't want to necessarily speak too much to oh this is how it should always be depicted because yeah, it, it right. is horrific too. Um, but I do agree it it kind of cuts both ways in a way that I feel is maybe more helpful, more nuanced, and more, you know, uh, a little bit better way to approach with open eyes, um, a, a look at the past, uh, because they they aren't depicted solely as, as uh, monsters, but they aren't depicted uh, solely wholly either. Um, yeah, it, 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 it does seem a little bit, a little bit more, uh, no, what's the word I'm looking for? Not valuable, but a little more uh, useful uh, to to have it done this way because it does force me to go and start looking a little bit harder. Uh, whereas if it's depicted one way or the other, I kind of tend to maybe just fully discount it. <laughs> you know, and I think a lot of that yeah. comes from Jan Schoel's position as a Swedish, as as a as a foreign person telling a story about America. He has mm-hmm. no uh, intro. Uh, what's the word? He has no stake in the game or interest to depict Native Americans one way or the other. He's, he's telling, he's interpreting the novel, and, and, and so maybe it's a little bit more of an objective viewpoint. Yeah, I think Moberg did, did his research. He, he really did try to, you know, um, cast his story in, in very authentic, uh, clear-eyed terms. And I think, you know, Moberg himself was, was very... Uh, had a very tight control over his novel. There had been a number of proposals, even including like John Ford and and some other very notable uh, directors to to adapt this saga. Because I think anybody who read it or was familiar with it says, yeah, this this is the uh, the epic journey that could be easily adapted and made into a very popular entertainment. And these movies were very successful. Uh, but Mulberg didn't even you know, consider any offers until he saw Troll's uh, Here Is Your Life and was was very satisfied with the naturalism and the attention to detail, the, you know, the kind of sensitive um, responsiveness to the, 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 the power of nature and of uh, spontaneous events. Uh, Troll's, you know, you know, work is, is almost legendary, the, the, especially the more you learn about it. He didn't just, you know, co-write the screenplay. He wasn't just the director. He was the cinematographer and he was the editor. <laughs> I mean, and there are some really remarkable editing flourishes here. I mean, the, probably the biggest over the top is the whole uh, sort of hallucinatory um, 
situation uh, as Robert's kind of recounting his tale uh, with with the and this and the again you know he he talks about how difficult this was in the pre digital age where he was literally slicing up the film frame by frame or two frames at a time and taping the 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 cells together to get this rapid kind of stroboscopic intercutting effect. Uh, of, the, of the kind of the the madness, the 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 dehydrated, delusional, staggering through the desert, as as Roberts recalling it, even even as he's you know nearing his deathbed with illness, so it's this this kind of frenetic, um, amorphous blob of memories that's kind of spilling forth these impressions, these experiences, you know, almost hallucinatory moments that he's trying to express and and recall uh with some kind of you know precision detail it, it, you know it's a very impressionistic form of editing but really the the whole thing and the fact that that Troyal dedicated so much of his life to putting this film together after uh, you know using a year of of time uh with his actors uh, you know Max von Sydow leave Ullman right at the peak of their powers He's like, okay, come with me for a year. We're going to have Go you doing farm fields. labor, <laughs> exactly. And and, uh, and 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 again, we we talked in the previous segment just about those two particular actors, and and how incredibly ideally suited they were for their performance. And of course, Lee Volman's in a couple different interviews in the supplements on this disc here, talking about you know out of all the great films she's done, and she's got a Hall of Fame resume. This her, her portrayal of Christina is like far and away the favorite thing that she's ever done in the in her experience in the movie industry. Uh, that, that's pretty remarkable, but I certainly can understand why she really gets to inhabit a, an amazing character. You you said something, David, that I either never knew or put out of my mind, and that is the idea of John Ford directing these films. <laughs> I, yeah, I have no yeah. doubt that they would have been interesting and good. I, I think John Ford's you know uh, body of work is is worth um, contending with and and watching. But boy, to be deprived of this outsider's perspective uh, would would be a shame, you know, because all the stuff we talked about just a few minutes ago. With, with they just simply wouldn't have been portrayed this way, you know the editing you're talking about, but also its depiction of of well everybody, but in particular the Native Americans simply would not have been this way. We you know that outsider's perspective more and more. When you said that, I'm like, oh geez, <laughs> we needed this. Yeah, I we mean with John this. Ford, you're you're gonna have a horse chase scene in there and, and <laughs> shoot him up. So no, who knows what you know. Uh, no disrespect to John Ford intended, but yeah, it's just the the Hollywoodization of these stories would have fundamentally changed everything, you know. Well, and and you did also talk a little bit about the editing choices that Troll makes in this film to talk about the hallucinatory part. Um, he's very thoughtful with uh, a lot of that, of course, and we can see that in here is your life as well. Uh, but I was just, just thinking about some of these quick edits, even in parts where they're just going about their day. They've, there's a lot of quick shots. Um, and it it does make the film, to me, feel like uh, uh, the way I feel as I walk around my house or, you know, go through my day where, you know, you walk around, you blink, you move things, you're thinking of something, and then you come back to, to what you're, you're doing. And... I can't tell you what I was looking at a few seconds prior. You know, it's it's it the the 
the times when he chooses to not have just a continuous shot of a room, but to move from one thing to the next just really works for me in that sense of intimacy again and is is i think quite unique uh you know beyond the the more you know clear you know use of it during the hallucin um the the hallucinations and the the frenzied you know attack on on uh arvid or sorry on robert's uh, uh mental uh, state is just the way he chooses to do this kind of throughout the films to make it this unique um this unique passage of 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 years uh, feel more like uh, seconds again. Jan Joel said he was not comfortable sitting next to the camera. He needed to be right. He needed to be behind the camera and operating the camera. He wanted to have the freedom to to sort of move the camera and pan to where he wanted to go. And with maybe the actors didn't even know what he was going to do, and it lends this great documentary like imp- almost improvisational feel to some of the filmmaking yeah yeah, oh, you, yeah. like you're you're really Very in that in. environment with with these characters uh the camera's drifting around but the characters just continue being who they are the actors as i say as 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 they're in that character and again lee volman really gives that sense of you know she'll just be doing her household chores you know making a meal or or doing some kind of you know clean up or fix up around the house and she doesn't know where the camera's at until she sees the the you know the rushes or even the maybe the final product she doesn't know how much of her is going to be there but she's just going to continue being christina while uh you know troll's camera is following those birds you know emerging over the horizon or or that leaf or the you know the spider web or whatever just kind of you know twisting and doing its thing those little those little details and it is it's and you forget about you know that that technical side of it so much because the movie i believe is, is just so immersive uh, you know, now there were some reviews uh, that were somewhat critical in the show notes. There's a few, you know, mixed bag types of uh, comments from back in the day. Some that oh, felt there was the film... one terrible review that was just laughable. <laughs> Tell me about it. What was your reaction to that, Phil? Yeah. Oh, he this I don't, this person he hadn't even seen the immigrants, so he goes in and he sees he sits down. He's writing for the Village Voice, I think, and he was yeah. He just panned the film, you know. He, he it just wasn't his day to be in this in this mood for for, for this type of film, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and the film yeah. is, and he did not like there. He there was no for him there was no uplift, there was no optimism, there was no American style, I guess, hope for the future or whatever. Um, and the film is dark. I was struck uh, the second time I saw it by wow, especially the, the second film is. It's a dark film. <laughs> well, no doubt about it. But I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought too much. But it, it, it there's that possibility at the beginning when they're talking, and this is before all the stuff we see happen in this film. When they're when they're kind of getting together, and they're asking, "Hey, is it was it worth it?" At the end, when you see Carl Oscar sitting around all by himself a lot of the time, you have to ask yourself what what his answer would be then. You know, sure. um, and yeah, it's. It, it's not, but but I don't find that depressing um, either. I don't find that a downer. It could certainly be that way, but I find it. I, I don't know. I'm I'm not sure. Maybe I find it refreshing and therefore positive in my way of experiencing. You know, just thinking about it. But I I I would disagree that I think the film is a, you know, all all a downer. It's 
it's kind of like life. It's well, yeah, I'm not beautiful. saying that. That was oh, I, and that. I know, I know, I I did. <laughs> I caught that, Phil. I knew you weren't saying that. Um, it just that strikes me that that would be the only reaction. So yeah, I agree with you. Um, seems way off base. <laughs> well, and I I wonder if there was a certain um, I don't know, kind of a a backlash, if you will. I mean, these films were um, there was a prestige aspect to it. Um, Leave Ullman was really, and Max von Sydow both were, you know, pretty prominent. Leave Ullman was, was, I guess, kind of really emerging, kind of exploding as a as a new face. And I wonder if people thought of her as kind of an upcoming, whatever, I don't know, Grace Kelly or or a Jennifer Lawrence, put it in more popular terms. And nowadays, you know, it, it was was she almost a victim of of sort of the trendiness, if you will? Uh, was there any kind of a resentment of the fact that these these films were kind of trending towards the mainstream, uh, getting Academy Award nominations? I mean, yeah, I'm always a, a, alert to this sort of snobbiness when when a certain type of a film becomes, you know popular uh, sometimes there's going to be a critical counter reaction against it to try to take it down a notch when uh, maybe it's getting more praise than the critic thinks it's worth or like you said phil it was just you know a mismatch of mood and tone um and expectations because you're right you think of a film titled the new land and we are thinking you know uh, you know whether whether it's the the saccharine sweetness of little house on the prairie or some kind of you know brave pioneers um you know s- you know sticking it out and, and emerging triumphant at the end as they've kind of secured their patch on god's little acre there so this this doesn't really satisfy any of those tendencies it, it's a somewhat bleak portrayal um i think carl oscar dies a a lonely man a man who's paid the price in many ways for a decision that he made back in his youth things have worked out well in the sense that he's had a long life he's obviously you know been productive fertile (laughs) uh he's got a legacy that he leaves behind him um but is that really all there is i mean that that gets into more existential questions about you know, life's purpose and value and what's important and what brings that lasting satisfaction. Um, you know, again, the film can only give us so much of that interiority, but to me, he does seem like a man who's some, something's been disconnected. You know, he lost his wife. Um, you don't see a lot of that warmth and tenderness with his fellow human being. Again, it's not portrayed. It's not saying it wasn't there, you know, if we want to project into that character at all. But um, he is he is portrayed, in, at least in my take, as the you know isolated individualist who's pursuing his own vision um, and you know largely succeeds in material terms, but might find that there's still something a little bit lacking in terms of the overall um, fulfillment, perhaps that maybe he thought this new life uh, in this new land was was going to deliver to him so i think there's a bit of a tragic element in all of this uh, even though he did survive and and did live to that ripe old age i think it's fair to say that things did not turn out the way carl oscar probably hoped they would but i don't imagine him in the end thinking oh i should have stayed in sweden it would have no, been better no. if I stayed. I think regardless of mm-hmm. how um, 
any disappointments he may have about how his life turned out, I, I don't think he would go so far as to say, um, you know, I, I should not have made this decision to come to this new land. Now, if yeah, it's no. Christina, Christina might feel differently. Um, but I, yeah. her story is so tragic. But I, I also, in thinking about her, I, I wonder, had, she, had they stayed in Sweden, the very same tragic things might have befallen her life in well, much the same way. I'm not sure things would have been much different. Well, and, and they, they kind of weren't. Uh, you know, they, they lost a child in, in Sweden due to dumb chance. And, you know, for, for Carl Oscar, it was America was a way to get away from some of that. And I think life just, you know, time passes. And, um, you know, he probably imagined himself somewhat immortal at that time. Uh, I can't remember if it was John or Josh in the first part of this episode who said, um, um, oh, shoot, now I'm, I'm blanking here for just a second, but, oh, sorry, David, um, I'll, I'll, I'll have to come back to that, but um, <laughs> okay. yeah. uh, essentially Carl Oscar is, is get, you know, he's kind of getting away from, from some of that and uh, maybe feels like he is immortal um, and going to, to live his life. Now I remember, um, but, you know, Josh or John said in the first episode, it's not him who's going to reap the rewards for his for his leaving. It's going to be the the next generation. That's the story of the 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 first generation immigrants. You know, they 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 can kind of start setting up a place, and then their kids can start to get a little more success and and a little bit more established, and it kind of builds hopefully, you know, somewhat sometimes from there. Um, and you know, but but I agree. I think had they for for him, it was a way to get away from all of that, and maybe even away from that loss of that child. Um, for Christina, she wanted to stay there because there was a child there. You know, that because that that's where her heart was planted, and uh, it's just you know. I guess I I do see this as a quite dour. But David, you and I, when we talked about Ozu, I told you this stuff depresses me. <laughs> And you mentioned yeah. something that I that I always you know I've learned a lot and I've been working on it. There is some beauty to to this life as well, even in the the these you know the tragic passage of time and the tragedies that can happen you know suddenly in an instant. And um, that's the impression that I walk away from these films with. It's not regret. It's wow. There's a life. You know, that's remarkable. Yeah that that yeah. all you know uh, what what happened there remarkable mm -hmm. yeah sweden was a dead end i mean i think carl oscar very much realized that at least for him or or a man like him there was no path forward i think christina's regrets and her homesickness was really just about the community uh, she had probably been raised you know to be a good swedish housewife uh, to be loyal and faithful to her man to bear him children to raise up her family but to do so in the context of you know other women that she'd grown up alongside and and that uh, she was part of a of a community where we'd take care of each other's kids and we would have our little you know fellowships our meals together our just our shared way of life and she's taken into a, a a new territory where she's much more isolated there just isn't that same sort of uh, support system around her she's got to fend for herself she's got to raise her own children and and uh, even if there's help uh, needed illness uh, emergencies 
you're going to have to send somebody for a considerable distance just to get one neighbor to come over and, and help out in time. So, you know, these are these are the, the changed expectations from how she was raised to her present reality. For Carl Asker, it's like I'm just trading in one bad deal for at least a shot at something better. And he finds that, but that, that is just so much of life in, in itself. You know, we're sort of cast into it. We don't really have any control or say so over the circumstances we're born into. We might be able to make an opportunity for ourselves, but even then, it's only choosing from a limited range of options. And uh, we're left to, to make the best of it that we can. And some people get born into really cushy, you know, um, prosperous situations. Others have a much rougher go of it. And that's just how the cards are dealt, you know? Um, so there's probably time to start wrapping things up a little bit. Do we just want to talk a little bit about this criterion edition? You know, I had already said this is kind of a semi inside the box episode. Uh, it's, you know, it's a regular DVD case, but you know, with six and a half hours of films, you could almost say these are, this is a four-part <laughs> film rather than just two. Um, the supplements are, you know, not especially abundant, but they're nice. They, they We've already referred to several of the interviews and uh, just got a better sense of Jan Troll as a, as a creative force. Um, his, his, his hands are all over this. Um, but what do you guys think of this just as a a Criterion edition uh, to have on the shelf. Um, you know, I think you're all fans, but uh, tell us a little bit more about your impressions of the product, so to speak. Oh, it's wonderful. It's uh, it's it's not a super fancy, you know, big box set. You know, mine is just in a I don't I don't know. Mine is just in the regular sort of plastic clear yeah. Blu-ray case with a couple of discs in it. I don't know if they ever printed any other editions with, with more of the cardboard style cases. No, no. Um, it was pretty much the same as what it's always I been. enjoyed. Um, there was an hour-long documentary with interviews with, with Jan Troel and, and a few different uh, uh, peop- actors and, and everybody about the making of the films, and that was interesting. Um, but yeah, there's that, and there's a couple of, of other interviews, and... Um, I think it's not too much to expect. The fact that nobody did a commentary track for the six-hour film, I think, is okay. I think we can let that one <laughs> that one pass. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> well, I'm sure it would have been great. <laughs> well, I'm I'm stepping back to look at my original review um, to to remember to refresh myself. I did not watch any of the supplements in preparation for this one. Like you, David, I didn't even revisit the immigrants this time. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Just stuck with the new land. Um, but it, it is kind of, uh, I, you know, as I remember it, there's this introduction by John Simon uh, that it, 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 you could sit down and, you know, as I did back in 2016, knowing not very much about any of this, and here's a nice introduction um, that to the films, you know, to the, to the, long, the long haul you have in front of you. Uh, when you're done, you, you get this to paint with pictures documentary that uh, that I, I do see here, David. Wow, I did put this out of my, my memory. In my review, I talk about um, John Ford being interested. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's yeah. where I learned that was in that to paint with pictures. Um, you know, but it's very sensitive to uh, Jan Troel's uh, approach. And then I really liked the uh, conversation between Peter Cowie and Jan Troel, which is often the case when oh. I see Peter Cowie sit down with, I- with him. Um, I didn't get a chance to watch that one. Peter Peter Cowie's great. Yeah, I wish I. Yeah, 
It's, oh, you got something to look forward to, yeah. Phil. You're not done with this one. <laughs> good, <yet. laughs> good, good. Yeah, you've got more. You've got more. But I, I love the whole set. You know, it would look gorgeous in a, in cardboard. Uh, that I think the cover is fantastic with that massive tree and uh, you know Max Vencito sitting at the bottom of it. It 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 to me shines the the roots and this complicated gnarled life of this tree just really you know looks great as as for 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 the picture mm-hmm. and the little notch that he carves in it is right mm-hmm. there it's just it's very beautiful little symbolism yes, yeah yeah so it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful addition to to pick up for sure and it is not available on the Criterion channel. They even have a bundle right now called The Immigrants, which is a bunch of films about immigration, not just to America, but from all different parts of the world. So, that, uh, so I would imagine that if they did have the streaming rights to these films, they would have put it in that bundle, but they don't. So if you want to check it out, uh, this Blu-ray edition is the way to get it. And it, mm-hmm. it is, to me, a, a keeper. I, I could say this is a film that I know we will watch. My wife really enjoys this in particular. Um, and so this is one where I think even if you just want to pop in a few scenes or just sample it from time to time just to take in the beauty. Because, uh, yeah, again, the the cinematography, this is a, it's a gorgeous photo album of nature shots. I would put it right up there with... You know Terrence Malick's type of work, you know, where you're just really and the new world. So you could mix, you know, people yeah. mix up yeah. the titles all the time. It, but it, it, <laughs> yeah, both right, in right. its impressionism and in its beautiful scenery uh, yeah. and beautiful way of capturing it, that there's a relationship there. Yep, and a really nice musical soundtrack as well. Again, very sensitive to the context. Uh, they did that kind of percussion thing in those uh, Western scenes with uh, Robert and Arvid. Uh, so there's there's just really a lot of now, unique artistry happening here. I did want to ask a quick here. question yeah. about those old sure. West scenes. I thought those were very yeah. convincing sort of yeah. pictures of, that, of the American Old West. Were, were those, I didn't get a chance to, to find out in my reading, were those filmed in America? The, uh, yeah, they were filmed in Colorado. They okay. did they did a, a fair amount of location screen uh, sh- or lo- location uh, research in Wisconsin and Minnesota, but they found that all of the lakes in Minnesota had been developed. They they could not find the kind of pristine, you know, untouched landscape until they went back to Sweden. There's apparently there's a district called Skåne, which is full of old landed estates, castles, and large. Uh, tracts of undeveloped property so those those scenes that are supposedly set in minnesota were actually filmed right there in sweden uh the the lakeside scenes and and even the even the scene i think the very first scene that troll said was shot for the film was that shot of the uh, indians crossing the frozen lake that is fairly late in the new land so talk about shooting out a sequence um and then lee volmon was in that scene so even though they cast her as a 17-year-old in the early per- portions of the immigrants. Uh, that was just a little bit of uh, posturing, perhaps some makeup, and and uh, you know, putting her hair in uh, those those, those uh, ponytails was probably helpful as well, or to to, to kind of young her up a little bit. She, she says she was 32 years old when she did those scenes of her on the swings. Uh, but yeah, so so most of this film was actually shot in Sweden. But there were a few, uh, you know, American scenes. I think probably the the train and the riverboat uh, were both filmed in America. But yeah, all of that stuff out west, I believe, was in Colorado. Okay. Another thing I thought was really interesting was that, um, you know, be it Sweden or, or or America, all of the film, both films, were all filmed on location, except the only portions that they fi- filmed in a studio was the interiors of the ship. 
and the ocean yeah. crossing. Yeah, that's so they could rock the, the rock the chamber back and forth <laughs> to just to, to stir up the the seasickness and the lurching and all of that. Oh, let's so. not go there. Don't, let's not go there. <laughs> that's right. I remember that. I did listen to that part of the first episode <laughs> that we did, and you got a little queasy there. Yeah. No, this one makes me exhausted because it makes me feel like I'm out working. <laughs> but that first yeah. one made me feel absolutely in in the ship <laughs> yeah yeah no no the, and the authenticity too i mean working with the original tools i think one of the uh set designers was a guy who worked with bergman quite a bit but he knew how to plane a, a log into boards he knew how to you know uh use the you know the awls and the, the the various tools so that you really have a sense of and i believe even like those cabins were built according to original specs you know these were not just you know props or or you know uh, fake flimsy uh little fronts that that looked convincing they they really built these cabins and uh, got into that deep level of detail and authenticity that i think really you know just brings so much life into this film so yeah i think we have a consensus we all like this one right <laughs> no absolutely, absolutely. All right. Well, um, let's just go ahead and wrap things up. So, Phil, what do you want to say as far as parting words, whether that's uh, anything that you're up to on social media or just in general or maybe a kind of final verdict on the films? Uh, here's your shot to give us a last word. Okay. Uh, one thing that we can touch on a little bit more is is sort of the depiction of religion in the film. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, you know, we have the Swedish people who wanted to leave one of the hardships in Sweden of course was the 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 church authority that they that they weren't getting along with and people wanted to worship or read the bible in their own way or whatever so they come to that was one of their driving motivations you know especially the uncle Daniel but it was really interesting of course once you get to the new land you sort of bring your own differences with you and it was interesting to see there's the scene where the the, the the Lutheran neighbors come over and they're very upset that Carl Oscar and uh, Christina are associating with uh, the, the the Baptists, you know? Yeah, and Ulrika, just, you yeah. know. Mm-hmm. And it just mm-hmm. highlights how much, you know, it's it's hard sometimes, I think, for us <laughs> in, in the 21st century where these differences between Protestant denominations, I mean, there are exceptions, but for most of us, don't mean a whole lot. <laughs> you know, well, back then, they meant a lot. You know, there, oh, there was the source huge, of great yeah. conflict and uh, and uh, discord. And it sort of points to, again, you know, kind of it plays into that idea of, of coming over to escape a hard life. And then you come over to the new land and you kind of just have another kind of a different kind of a hard life. And it sort of plays into that ultimate question, which we've all sort of already touched on, is... Did they build a better life for themselves in the new land, whether for their generation or future generations? So, well, and just that encounter, leaving your little sectarian splits within the Swedish, you know, Lutheranism and and the the fine points of of doctrine as to whether or not uh, an ordained minister can be the only person who gives out 
communion, let's say, or, or uh, reading the Bible without the official interpretation uh, being overlaid or, or having a fellowship in your home rather than going to the official you know, church sanctuary. Um, th- those are important issues, but boy, you bring it over to North America, now all of a sudden you're dealing with such a vastly expanded uh, uh, palette of religious uh, options, uh, in, in, even including no faith or secularism or some sort of you know, um, new hybrid between Christianity and other ideologies. Yeah, it's sort of touched on there, but you're right, it gets just so much more complicated. And I will say, as the uh, descendant of Dutch immigrants who came over to this country, I think very largely for religious reasons, uh, those denominational splits uh, continue to (laughs) uh, echo through my own life and through the lives of my loved ones. I mean, it's, you know, I can go into whole family stories (laughs) about Mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So, so, yeah, those issues are certainly not resolved by any means, and I imagine Trevor maybe has his own version of some of those stories as well. Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Trevor, what's your final comments uh, wrap up on this uh, episode here? Oh, well, thanks again for having me back, David. Uh, it's I, I like talking about any film w- with you guys, and sure. but it's, it's always nice to talk about some that are, you know, really kind of hit a personal spot and uh, and not just look at the filmmaking but look at how these works of art uh, affect affect us you know individually and that's you know it make leads to an enriching experience so i appreciate your your opening up and hosting us today um as for the future you know lots of great things coming on criterion some things leaving you know seasons come and go (laughs) the death of a few uh imprint uh, criterions this last week but more coming up in the future um yeah yeah so i've got plans to cover some of them and i know you and i have got uh, uh, another episode of in the box or sorry of inside the box uh getting ready for you know recording someday down the line yeah, yeah, I w- I'll go ahead and, and spill the beans on that. We're going to talk about the Lean Coward set. Uh, David Lean and Noel Coward put together four films in the, I think it was the early 1940s, or late mm-hmm. 30s in there too. Um, yeah, so, yeah, but uh, basically during the war years uh, in, uh, in England. So that's going to be our next episode of Inside the Box. Yeah, we haven't quite scheduled a date yet, but uh, we'll get to that. But yeah, it's always a blast talking with you, Trevor. And Phil, it's great to have you back on as well, uh, kind of getting my... Uh, roster of guests making their season four debuts here on the episode or on the podcast so it's been great having you along both of you i'm glad that you've had a chance to interact with each other a little bit yeah, here as well nice. got to know each other very fun <laughs> yeah thank okay. you very much it's certainly yeah. a, a pleasure and i as a relative newcomer it's great to be on here with two criterion cast veterans and uh yeah well, keeps things lively and fresh, getting new voices in the mix. <laughs> so the next episode of this podcast, Criterion Reflections, is going to be looking at Peter Bogdanovich's What's Up Doc, starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. It was a very short-lived uh, entry on the Criterion channel, and I think it might have been on the Criterion channel on Filmstruck as well way back when. So, But we're going to bring that one out of the mothballs and uh, have a little bit of zany, screwball comedy, 70s style and next time we get together here on Criterion Reflections. So thank you for listening. Listening in, everybody. This has been a pretty epic conversation to match a suitably epic two-part saga. So, uh, pre- hope you appreciate it, and uh, we look forward to any feedback and comments you may have. Find me on TikTok. We'll have show notes, uh, links to get in touch with Trevor and Phil if you want to follow up with them. 
find us on the Criterion Reflections Facebook group. And of course, all of our work on Criterion Cast is there. We do appreciate Patreon supporters and people who just want to uh, share the word, spread the love, and just give us the good vibes. Uh, we are here to uh, you know foster your enjoyment of cinema, and we hope you appreciate the effort. We appreciate your support and uh, feedback as well. So we'll talk to you all soon. Bye-bye.